Good morning. Ezra and I think Ezra and Asa are passing out a study guide. We have should have plenty for our study today, our continued study on evangelism. So if you need one and didn't get one, just slip your hand up. Last week we talked about uh, our, the for the last I guess about seven weeks we missed two of them in the middle there with some missionaries uh, sharing with us. Um, we have looked at the topic of evangelism. So I wanted to start by this morning asking if anyone had the opportunity to share the gospel last week and if you would uh, mind giving us a quick report of how that went. Did anyone have an opportunity? Tom? Uh, At BSF, a a new fellow showed up who, sitting across from a Kerrville policeman, told us that he was addicted to meth, heroin, cocaine, crack, and everything else. His, uh, his family had been taken from him, hmm. and uh, he was very confused by the study. Much less the book of Revelation. <laughs> so, uh, at the end of the class, I kept him back and, and just explained to him what life looked like ahead yeah. in his present state. And that there might be hope in something bigger than that. Oh, yes. And uh, he was, you know what? Unfortunately, he was still confused. Yeah. But, you know, all you can do is, is be obedient. Right. And it's not, I can't save the guy. Right. All I can do is lay the information out. Right. He was very open and accepting. But, uh, and, and what was really exciting was there were many, many men, as I've spoken this week on the phone to, that... Uh, are determined to kind of gather around him yes. and keep him as best as they can going on the right path. It, 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 is it the path to salvation? Don't know. But it's certainly the path to what you can at least do for your kids, yeah. your wife, quote, unquote, right. and, and uh, how to kind of pull yourself out of the ditch. Mm. Right? You can't be pulling. Right. You're addicted to meth. But right. Good, good. Praise the Lord. Anyone else? Well, I shared with a, a story with Mark Roslowski last week. I thought it might be encouraging to the body. Um, this happened a few weeks ago. Uh, there was a young man in HEB that I was able to share share the gospel with, uh, named Louis. And the way that ha- this happened was, is I walked into the produce aisle, and uh, I saw a young man about my size, um, walking through the produce aisle eating a donut. And I, that just struck me as odd. Why are you eating a donut in the produce aisle? So I just watched him, and uh, as I'm getting my food there, and he uh, produce, and he goes out the front door. No problem there. But I see him immediately come back in the front door and start going uh, back toward the back of the store. So I swung around the other side of the produce aisle and um, watched as he stopped at the donut place there. And so I just went and started examining the kolaches and different things along, just watching him over here to the side. And I noticed that he took a donut out and he put it real close to himself and then proceeded to go back through the produce aisle. So as he uh, went down the produce aisle, I swung and cut him off at the pass. And uh, we went, uh, he went through the front door and I went through the front door right after him. So I'm just bumping along in my little buggy there. And he's about as far ahead of me as from Jackie is from me right now. 
and he gets, uh, if you know H-E-B here in town, uh, it's the door on the right as you're facing, and he gets to the middle door in the middle of the store, and I'm three feet behind him now, and I said, do you always steal your donuts? And he spun around. I didn't steal a donut. He said, yeah, you did. I watched you steal a donut. I think you actually stole two because you've eaten. I watched you eat one in the produce aisle. And uh, he began to realize he was guilty. And I told him, I said, well, you can go back into the store right now and talk to the manager. I'll call the police. Oh, no, 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 don't, don't do that. I don't, I don't, I don't do that. I said, no, you've got to go back into the store and talk to the manager right now. I'm going to call the police. About that time, a young lady in our town that I know well, uh, Katie Turpin, uh, Katie is a very flamboyant, energetic young lady. And she came out of the store, hey, how's it going? She's hey, giving a hug, and I'm keep trying to keep an eye on this young man as I'm trying to greet her. And, um, he goes into the store. I follow him in the store. He said that he didn't have any money. He was going to have to call his grandmother. I'm thinking, yeah, that's just a ruse. So I'm watching him on the phone as I'm now examining the hunting magazines across the way. But I had to go, and I really thought, Lord, I've, I gotta get, I, I'm late. i gotta, I got to get my stuff. So as I'm going through the store, I was thinking, I'm just praying, asking, Lord, what, what do I do here? This guy needs the gospel, obviously. And how can I help him understand that? And as I was going through the, uh, the store, it all of a sudden struck me a really good way to maybe present the gospel, maybe fostering uh, or financing his stealing, I don't know, would be, to buy, would be to buy his donuts. So I went over to the donut aisle, grabbed the donut, went to the, hustled over to the counter and told the lady to charge me for two, although I was only paying for one. And um, he was still in the same spot, went over to him, he was still on his phone, and was able to just, uh, I asked him, I said, do you know what you did was wrong? He said, yeah, I, I did. I said, well, somebody has paid for something that you took and didn't have the ability to pay for. Somebody has already paid for that. And I handed him the donut. I was able to then share the gospel with him that the fact that he was, he was liable for judgment because of his sin. But Christ has paid the price that he could not pay. Um, so I might have just financed his stealing, donut stealing. But uh, I just wanted to share that as a way. As I, did, I didn't go into that. I went in to get my groceries. I didn't go in prepared to, to proclaim the gospel. And even in the middle of the story, even while sharing with him, I wasn't completely sure of how to do it. But just we want to be ready. And, and as we pray and ask the Lord to give us wisdom, the Holy Spirit can lead us and guide us to these things and really make clear what needs to be said. We know the gospel, but it's obviously unique how it's presented every single time. And whether it's sitting down face-to-face with someone in a BSF meeting or whether it's <laughs> by the checkout counter uh, with a young 12-year-old man who's trying to figure out how to live life then um, they're unique every time. But the message is the same. And the spirit is the one that does the work inside the person's heart. We're just the one who does the delivering. So just to be encouraged, uh, be prepared, but trust the Lord to, to make clear how this would go. Let's, yeah. Say one thing. I'm learning again. If the relearn is about once a day. If I really want to shoot a great looking deer, I need to be hunting. Yeah, right. You need to go in with your eyes open. Amen. Let's pray for our time this morning. Lord, we're grateful to you for the work of the gospel that has been done upon our hearts by the Holy Spirit. We thank you for the good news of Jesus Christ. We want to be uh, better prepared uh, 
to proclaim that, and that's what we, we come to your word this morning with a desire to do, is to be better prepared, to understand more clearly. Father, we, we ask and pray for your grace now upon our time. In Jesus' precious name we pray, amen. Quick review here before we get into today's study. We looked at in week one, uh, we went from Genesis to Revelation and saw that throughout history, God is saving people for his glory. In week two, we looked at uh, God's sovereignty and man's responsibility, how those things fit together. It's a difficult understanding of those two truths, but they are in Scripture. Week three, we looked at what the gospel message was and is and is not, if you remember our study there. And then uh, last week, Paul took us through the uh, lesson of how to better share our personal testimony in a way that proclaims the gospel but also illustrates it, helps people to understand how it's changed us, how it's freed us from sin. Today we're going to look at uh, the, the, the corporate church, how the, gr- how the church as a group, um, as a whole, really can do the work of evangelism. What that looks like, uh, what power that is there for the, for the witness of the local church. When we, when we talk about the local church, we need to quickly understand that we're talking about the body of Christ. We're not talking about a building. We probably all know this. But there is, uh, in, in theological terms, there is the thought of a universal church. And we're all part of the universal church. And the universal church are those who have been saved by the power of the Holy Spirit through the work of Christ alone for our salvation. And we come to him in faith. We repent of our sins. We believe in him for his atoning work alone. And we're, we're saved. And we enter in at that point of being saved into the universal church. Meaning, I'm standing here in Fredericksburg, Texas, but the person that's in China that's worshiping the Lord today, or that's in England, or that's in France, or that's in California or New York, they're all part of the same church I'm a part of. Now, they're not part of the local church of Fredericksburg Christian Fellowship, but they are part of the universal church. Now, there is... The, the universal church, as it were, is in, in a way invisible. You know, there's no location that we all come to meet as thousands and even millions of Christians. There's not a location. There's not a, a central place. So there's not necessarily a, a visible way to see the invisible church. But the local church is, in a way, the visible evidence of the invisible church. Do you understand what I'm saying there? You can come to this church see the invisible church, us, together, and that's, that's a picture of what is obviously uh, exponentially much, much bigger. So if we have a wrong view of the local church, if we're thinking of this as just a, um, a building, the church is just a building, or we're thinking of it as something that's just us as compared to a broader body of Christ, we can approach how the church works, how the local church works to proclaim the gospel to one another and to unbelievers and, and with some misconceptions. And here's two of them. Misconception number one, some people could misunderstand the, the topic, the, the topic that uh, there is a, the gospel, uh, the group witness of the local church proclaims the gospel. They misunderstand, think the local church exists to do evangelism for you. Meanwhile, I'm going to Fredericksburg Christian Fellowship. They've hired Bob Welch, Cody Carnett, Paul Renfro. Therefore, Paul Renfro, Bob Welch, Cody Carnett are the people who are going to be doing evangelism for me. You know? Dutifully writing my tithe out, therefore, that's why we've hired them. 
they're going to be the ones that do the evangelism. Or, on the other hand, some would think, well, evangelism is something that we do outside the church. Okay, uh, We'll all do evangelism together, but it's not something that we're going to do on Sunday morning here as this a group, as this body, as this meeting. It's something that takes place Monday through Saturday. Sunday isn't a place that evangelism is done. And both of those would be on opposite ends of the spectrum. Both of those would be would be wrong in many ways. Turn in your Bibles with me to 1 Corinthians 3. 1 Corinthians 3. Verses 16 and 17. If you have, if you found that, um, read it out loud for us, please. Someone. Okay, the context of 1 Corinthians 3 is really the church. And uh, we are, uh, you individually are the temple of the Holy Spirit, but we also, as the body of Christ, are also the temple of the Holy Spirit. This is a, a quote from Matthew Henry that better helps us understand that. Know ye not that you are the temple of God and the Spirit of God dwelleth in you, quoting from 1 Corinthians 3 there. Matthew Henry, it may be understood of the church of Corinth collectively or of every single believer among them. Christian churches, not buildings, Christian churches, the gathering of the body of Christ here today, are temples of God. He dwells among them by his Holy Spirit. They are built together for a habitation of God through the Spirit, Ephesians 2.22. Every Christian is a living temple of the living God. God dwelt in the Jewish temple, took possession of it, and resided in it. By that glorious cloud that was the token of his presence with that people. So Christ by his spirit dwells in all true believers. And we think of the text in Matthew where it says two or three witnesses gathering. Meaning that there is a presence of the Holy Spirit within each one of us. But as a, as a group, as a body meeting today, there's also a, a manifestation of the Holy Spirit. And when we have a wrong view of the local church... What we're really doing is we're, we're, we're misunderstanding the significance of the presence and the power and the glory of God that is seen when we gather. It should be seen by us, but it also is going to be significantly seen, as we'll see a little further in our study today, by unbelievers. Because when we gather together, unified in the name of Christ, unified in our worship to him, there's going to be a presence of the Holy Spirit because he's within us and then corporately he's with us. And there's power there. There's a presence there. There's, there's glory there that should be evident, that is evident, should be evident, and will be witnessed by others. We're going to look at three things this morning. Uh, you've got your hand out there. Um, first, we're going to discuss how the local church proclaims the gospel when it gathers. Second, we'll think about ways we can use the local church's gathering to discuss the gospel with non-Christians. And in the, in the church setting... On Sundays, but also understanding how the church can be a strengthening time, an equipping time for each one of us throughout uh, the week. Second Timothy 3.17, the word of God makes us competent, equipped for every good work. We should be able to come on Sundays as Christians, even if we're not able to proclaim the gospel to an unbeliever on that Sunday morning. We're equipped for the good work, strengthened for the good work of proclaiming it throughout the week. 
And finally, we'll discuss how the local church helps us to be more faithful evangelists. Let's look at, uh, I think it's number one there on your handout, how the corporate gathering proclaims the gospel. How the corporate gathering proclaims the gospel. <clears throat> when we gather um, as a church, we hold the gospel out uh, to one another. Second Timothy 2, 1 says, Be strengthened by the grace in Christ Jesus. I think there's, uh, there's at times a misconception that the gospel is for the unbeliever and we're believers now that's we're a little past that but no we come to church on Sunday morning to really hold the gospel out to one another and to remind one another this is what Christ has done for you this is the grace that has been poured out for you this is the love he has for you and it's 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 to be applied individually each one of us have things that have happened this week that are unique to you each one of us have uh, sp- specific struggles with specific sin. And, and it's our job as the fellow believer in, in, uh, in love uh, to be able to go to that person and hold the gospel out and call them to say, remember in your suffering, this is what Christ has done. Remember in your struggle for sin, this is what Christ has done. Remember wherever it would be that this is what Christ has done. So we hold the gospel out to one another, but we also hold the gospel out to people, certainly, who don't know Jesus, who don't know Jesus. And we mentioned earlier this passage in Matthew eighteen twenty, for where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. As the church jointly gathers, unified in its desire to proclaim the truth, we are promised the power and presence of Christ. And that's what is such a powerful evangelistic tool when people come to church that don't know Christ is because there's a unify a, a, a unity over the truth of what Christ has done there's that's a very powerful presence and that's one of the ways that we would proclaim the gospel to unbelievers is just our unity and why we're here today to be able to say Christ is king uh, God is holy God is love all the truth that we know and hold to together Five ways the church gathering portrays the gospel to non-Christians. And this would be now on your handout there. Number one, when the church gathers together, non-Christians can hear the gospel proclaimed. Somebody look up for me, 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 2, and read it out loud. 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 2. When the church gathers together, non-Christians can hear the gospel proclaimed. 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 2. Read it out loud. So this is um, Paul speaking to Timothy. So the context of this is um, to pastors. Pastors are to preach the word. And that's one of the first ways. That's one of the first ways that non-Christians, when they come into church, should hear the gospel proclaimed, is it should be preached. It should be preached. Now that doesn't necessarily mean that every single time someone preaches in this church, you're going to hear the straight uh, gospel proclamation. But what should be heard is how all of life is lived in the light of the gospel. Do you understand what I'm saying when I, when I, when I say that? you understand what I mean when I say that? Meaning, we, we, the gospel is central to the church. And let me explain how that looks like. So when we get up to sing here in a little while, we're singing because of 
Christ has given us something to sing about. Something greater than ourselves. When we greet one another, we're greeting one another because Christ greeted us when we did not want to greet him. He greeted us. He gave us the gospel. When we give of our tithes and offerings, we're giving because he gave of himself that we might live. Do you understand how we're now mimicking the gospel It's central to all that we're doing? And the so the, the, the gospel is proclaimed by the preacher, but it then should be central to not only the message that anyone's speaking here, but also to everything that we're doing. You know, we're sharing a meal together. Why do we do that? Because Christ shared a meal with us. He gave us the Lord's Supper, which we will fellowship with today. So that's one of the reasons why it's so important for Christians to sit down and have meals together. Because we do so because he shed his uh, b- blood and broke his body that we might have the ability to fellowship with one another. Do you see that? That's central to everything that we're doing. And then it's proclaimed by the congregation. So it's proclaimed by the preacher, but then it's also proclaimed by the congregation. Turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 14. 1 Corinthians 14, 23 through 25. Now this is um, coming... This is the bookend to 1 Corinthians 13. 1 Corinthians 12 is on spiritual gifts. Then you have this chapter on love. Then you have 1 Corinthians 14, which is also on spiritual gifts, prophecy, and tongues. I want you to look in your Bible, 1 Corinthians 14. Look at verse 23 through 25. Read it through personally. And here's what I want to uh, ask. The, here's the answer. I'm in, here's the question I'm, we're going to be asking. We should be asking ourselves. If you lay aside... The, the tongues, the, the part on tongues there, what is Paul saying in this passage? Read it. Give you about 30 seconds. Read it through. And then uh, let's talk about that. Now, in Scripture, we remember, we would be wise to remember that when the the Scriptures speak of prophecy, the vast majority of that is really proclaiming uh, what God has already told us in Scripture. So, uh, I could stand up here and, according to Scripture, be saying I am prophesying by I am declaring already what Christ has done. So oftentimes it's, it's far less in Scripture uh, like a foretelling of what is to come and much more in Scripture a, a word of what God has already told us about. So if you take that understanding of prophecy and then you take out the tongues part, what is, what is this passage in 1 Corinthians 14 really exhorting us as, as the body to proclaim? Anyone? Yeah. Proclaim the truth to one another, right? But if all prophesy, verse 24, and an unbeliever or outside enters, he is convicted by all, he is called to account by all, the secrets of his hearts are disclosed, and so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. So as we come together, certainly someone from the pulpit should be proclaiming the gospel, but you as the body should be proclaiming the gospel as well in your interaction with one another. So that as an unbeliever would come and hear conversations, they hear truth being proclaimed of what God has already told us. God is faithful. 
He is kind. He is passionate. He is patient for us. And as they hear that, being able to understand the, the truth through the, obviously the power of the Holy Spirit, but y'all proclaim the gospel just as much, if not in many ways more than someone from the pulpit. When the church gathers, non-Christians can hear the gospel proclaimed. One of the best uh, ways this is seen in the local church is um, three ways. Baptism is a great time to bring an unbeliever because they're going to hear a testimony, or let's call it a prophecy, a foretelling, a, 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 a telling of what God has done in this person's life. They're going to give a testimony of what God has done and how he saved them from sin. Uh, the Lord's Supper, we're going to see that this morning. The Lord's Supper is a powerful way of being able to uh, see the gospel proclaimed. Testimonies are so important. The testimonies of each one of our lives. This is why we talked about this last week. And it may not just be the testimony of how we were saved. It could just be the testimony like Tom declared earlier of, of what the Lord did this last week. I had the opportunity to share the gospel with someone who was struggling deeply. Or, boy, I was really feeling uh, discouraged this week uh, due to some of the events in my life. And I was able to go to uh, a brother came to me or this passage. I was able to read it and, and it really encouraged my heart. There's a testimony of the work of God that proclaims Scripture. Wait, yeah. Yeah. It seems like the verse before this verse. 22. Right. Yeah, there's a, there, there's a there's a there's a there's a um, authentic nature to it. Yeah. Number two on your handout there. When the church gathers together, non Christians can hear the gospel prayed. When the church gathers together, non Christians can hear the gospel prayed. And this would be prayer in and out of the worship service. But when a non Christian comes and hears us pray, there should be uh, the fact that the prayers of Christians are, are, are very much different. They're not uh, dull, uh, they're not uh, scripted, they're not uh, dead, just religiosity. There, there's a power of the Holy Spirit there, there's a belief in the truth, there's a heartfelt uh, thanks and joy and conviction. And truth, uh, the prayers are centered on things that are eternal, uh, of what is to come. Prayers centered on things that seem to fully depend upon uh, the grace of Christ, something that we cannot just pull ourselves up by our bootstraps, but we're asking the Lord Christ to do something that we are unable to do but by His grace. We've all uh, heard probably different people pray that have been very impactful to us. Uh, there's men in this congregation that pray on Sunday mornings um, that are particularly ministered to my soul, just the, the, way that they, the way that they pray. The story is told of a, uh, a young man uh, named Spunky Adams. Spunky Adams must have been a friendly fellow with that name, who once visited a Christian business lunch with a friend. He said that at the beginning of the lunch, a man got up and prayed. He said that during the prayer, he realized he'd never heard anything like it. He said the prayer was personal and true. It seemed like the guy really meant what he was praying. A few weeks later, Spunky visited a church and the same man who had prayed at this lunch stepped up and began to preach. Within days, Spunky surrendered to Christ and today he serves as an elder in that church. Prayer is a, is a great way to be able to proclaim the gospel. And not, it doesn't just happen in a worship service. It can happen around your table at home. This is a great opportunity, fathers, to uh, 
to disciple your family is to, to pray. Pray well. Uh, pray heartfelt. Pray meaningfully. Something that's not just, you know, Lord, we thank you for this food, but something that really, uh, being able to proclaim the, the beauty of what Christ has done for you that's overflowing out of your heart. And we're certainly not doing it as a, as a means of show or for the praise of men, but simply as something that I'm, I've been so encouraged today about what God has done and being able to pray about that in front of your family and letting your children hear um, how a man who is enraptured by what Christ has done for him and, and the glory of, what God, of who God is just come out in his prayers. It's very powerful. Number three, when the church gathers together, non-Christians can hear the gospel in the songs we sing. Can hear the gospel in the songs we sing. Psalm 100, Psalm 100, make a joyful noise unto the Lord. Come into his presence with singing. That's to be a um, central theme of what we sing about. It sometimes may not be words that are easily understood, but a non-Christian should be able to come in, hear us singing, see us singing, listen to what we're singing about, see the words on screen or in the book, and be able to see the gospel, to, to see it uh, clearly proclaimed. Psalm 119, 172, My tongue will sing of your word, for all your commandments are right. When non-Christians hear the people of God lift their voices as if they believe in what they're singing, it is striking. And it's not just that we're joyfully singing, although that should be there. It's the fact that we're joyfully singing about truth. We should be singing truthfully. Not just whatever, but truth. Should be able to hear the gospel in the songs that we sing. This is one of the reasons why we have uh, really sought in this last year to expand our uh, the repertoire of our of our songs. Uh, why we've put out the little uh, supplemental uh, booklet there uh, to be able to sing additional songs that are not in our hymnal. We've taken all the songs in the hymnal, over 600 of them, and really condensed them down to the songs that we feel that are the strongest. Uh, and the best, there's no way we can all sing 600 uh, songs and we want to really make sure that we're pulling out of a pool that's as strong as possible so that we're able to really proclaim the gospel to one another in our singing. We're able to proclaim the greatness of God in our singing and we're able to see the response that we should have to the greatness of God in our singing. Number four, when the church gathers together, non-Christians see the gospel displayed. Non-Christians see the gospel displayed. There's two ways that they mainly see that displayed. They see that displayed in baptism, uh, which we've talked about a little bit, but they also see it displayed in the Lord's Supper. We're going to take the Lord's Supper this morning, and one of the things non-Christians should see when we take the Lord's Supper is that Christians take sin very seriously. But they also revel in, they also rest in, Christ's sacrifice joyfully. So we're taking it, we're taking, we're very weighty about our sin. We should be very weighty about sin. But at the same time, we're going, though that way is, is weighty and I'm burdened by that, I rest and find joy in what Christ has done, in his sacrifice for us. They should see that. And they should also see that that table is not just open. It should be fenced, as we call it. It should be uh, guarded. It is for the believer. It is only for the believer. It is only for the believer that is walking in repentance, as Scripture talks about. 
Doesn't mean he's not going to be struggling with sin, but he's in a he's in continually repenting of his sin and walking out um, that repentance in a way that's going to bear good fruit. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance, the scriptures tell us. So when the church gathers, non-Christians see the gospel displayed. Number five, the fifth point there on your the first part of your handout. When the church gathers together, non-Christians see the gospel lived out. See the gospel lived out. We've probably all heard uh, the quote by Gandhi. I like your Christ. I do not like your Christians. They are so unlike your Christ. And it's true that every one of us are, 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 are hypocritical to an extent. But that is, that is not to say that the church is still not one of the most powerful evangelistic tools uh, that God has given us. Because though we are uh, all hypocritical to an extent, that doesn't bypass the fact that we are still gathered together in unity over the fact that he's done the work for us because we'll never be able to do the work perfectly. So it's still a very, very powerful tool. John 13, 34 through 35. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. The world doesn't love like Christ commands us to love. And they love, their their love is selfish. And so as soon as you're hypocritical and it doesn't satisfy them, they'll ditch you and go to the next thing or the next person. And that's what's so, one of the things that's so powerful is we, I'll sin against a brother. And why does he still love me in return? That's really mind-boggling. 1 Peter two twelve, Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. John seventeen twenty through 23 I do not ask for these only, but also for those who believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them and you in me. That they may be perfectly, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them, even as you loved me. The local church gathering makes the invisible kingdom of Christ visible. That's a picture. That's a, a way that the gospel is lived out in the local church. Quote from our study here: In the church, you have people from every tribe, tongue, nation economic situation, political affiliation, all to come together and peace and love for no apparent reason other than Jesus. Nothing can explain it. The only answer is Christ and his gospel. Why? And we, we have, we're all very diverse, but we come together. That doesn't seem to be something that should happen. And it doesn't, other than for what Jesus has done for us. Second page of your handout there, number two. How to use the corporate gathering in our personal evangelism. How to use the corporate gathering in our personal evangelism. Number one, when we talk about the church, we should speak highly of it. And not just talking about the local church, but mainly the universal church, the body of Christ. We should speak highly about the body of Christ. Wanting to be with fellow believers in a local assembly. That should be something that we speak highly of and are unashamed about doing. Uh, Al Mohler gives a suggestion that 
the one of the ways to to use the church in evangelism is just to ask someone how was the sermon yesterday or how was church yesterday well they may be a believer and you're able to now uh, fellowship with someone that you didn't know was part of the invisible church or they're an unbeliever and they say, well, I didn't go to church yesterday. Oh, really? Well, let me talk to you. You have an opportunity there just to be able to enter in and uh, enter into conversation about something that is happening naturally in your life. You were at church on Sunday. They weren't at church on Sunday. You didn't know that. That's just part of your life, and that's just part of the conversation. It's coming out of something that's authentic. You're not contriving some sort of message. You're just asking someone, hey, how was church yesterday? Well, I, I wasn't at church. Really? Why weren't you at church? Oh, man, I, I've just really been struggling with this or that. Or, boy, my wife and I are not doing well in our marriage. There's so many inroads here because you take it from just the how was the football game yesterday to a much deeper level. And oftentimes you're able to get into much deeper conversations where the gospel gospel can be applied. When we talk about the church, we should speak highly of it. Number two, we should invite non-Christians to church. Now this should be, this has to happen very, very strategically. Um, I would encourage anyone who's inviting a non-Christian to church to really uh, set the expectation for them. What should they expect? Should they expect that we're all going to be in uh, shorts should they expect that I'm gonna, we're all going to be wearing suits and ties? I get calls a lot. People call me up before they come to church and say, hey, we're visiting in the area, we're going to come. What is the attire of your church? So a non-Christian, set the expectation for me. You know, you know uh, there's people that come in shorts, and there's some people that come in jeans, there's somebody that comes in a suit and tie. Uh, we encourage you to wear something uh, that you feel comfortable in, but that's something nice. You know, whatever you're going to say, set the expectation for them. What's it going to be like? Where do you park? Uh, what time is it going to be like? Prep the time with prayer. Call up a friend uh, that attends that church and say, hey, I'm bringing a, non- a non-Christian this Sunday. Would you be praying for that person? Prep that time with prayer. If you can, uh, bring them to a baptism service. That's a great time. There's times to be able to hear the how Christ has changed someone's life, hear a testimony there. We should talk, number three, with our non-Christian fin- friends about what they experience at church. Tied into number two there. But that should be very strategic. So when someone comes, we should ask them, what did they think? If you know a non-Christian is coming to a church, what you probably would be very wise to do is to prepare to have them over to your house. Maybe with another uh, Christian family that's coming over to your house that afternoon. Have them over for a meal or take them out to dinner or lunch right afterward. Where they're able to see how Christians interact with one another. And they're also able, you're also able to talk to them. What did you think? Did you, did you, what did you think? And be able to uh, have some conversation there. It's a really big st- uh, step oftentimes for a non-religious person to attend church. And that can really help answer some questions, make it a little more easy, a little more comfortable for them to be able to understand how Christians interact and, and also how you approach church. You approach it with uh, some weight. You want to be there. You want to learn. And you can ask them, well, what did you hear? What did you learn? What did you think? Number four. We're having to go quickly here. Sorry about that. Number four. We should invite non-Christians just to hang out with us and our Christian friends. We should invite non-Christians just to hang out with us and our Christian friends. This is the really um, probably the blessing of hobbies and such. You know, I, I enjoy dove hunting. 
and you can invite uh, uh, a non-Christian friend to come out and dove hunt with you. Or I enjoy playing, uh, I play basketball here in Fredericksburg uh, two or three mornings a week. And the reason I do that is strategically because I want to develop relationships with non-Christians. Because my line of work, I deal with Christians all day long. And I want to deal, be able to also proclaim the gospel. I'm weak in evangelism, never been strong in that area. And I want to grow in that area, so I'm trying to strategically put myself in situations that are not going to be a temptation to sin, but I can develop relationships with non-Christians and be able to invite someone over to my house and be able to say, hey, we're going to have a cookout on Saturday night. I'm inviting a bunch of people. Why don't you come on out at 5 o'clock or whatever it would be. But be able to uh, develop um, relationships with non-Christians and then be able to invite them to be with us. Invite them onto our turf, so to speak. There's times to go into theirs, but invite them into our life as well. That's is uh, uniquely as well. This is a really good opportunity for families to uh, help their children under uh, see the world and the consequences of the world and the style of the world in an environment that you can uh, shape and use it as a teaching opportunity. Uh, use it as a way to help them see your strategic in your relationships and proclaiming the gospel to people. It's a really good thing. We, uh, uh, David Thompson this um, month invited us to participate in 4-H, which we've never done. So Chandler and I signed up for 4-H. One of the reasons being that's a strategic way to develop relationships to be able to grow the opportunity to proclaim the gospel. So we want to be able to do that. Last point on your handout there I think is number three. How the church encourages us to faithfulness in evangelism. How the church encourages us to faithfulness in evangelism. Number one, the local church equips us to evangelize. Ephesians 4.12 He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ. We talked about misconceptions at the beginning here of the local church. And one of the misconceptions being uh, those that are on the paid staff do the work of evangelism. But really my main job is to equip you. I'm to do evangelism as well, but I'm to make, a disi- make disciples, equip you, to, to strengthen you, to feed the sheep. To be able to feed you to the point that you're strengthened in the grace that, that, that is found in Christ and be able to go do this work to help us better understand how we can take the gospel out into the world each week to be able to make disciples there. That's our, that's our main job. So if you're not being equipped, if you're not being fed, then you should be coming to us and saying, I, I don't feel like I'm being equipped for this work or fed for this work because we want to be able to do that. And we, we oftentimes need some feedback to help us understand how we can better equip and better feed Number two, the local church provides opportunities for evangelism. Though the, the church doesn't do, doesn't do just evangelism outside the church, it often does evangelism, in, evangelism inside the church, it can do evangelism outside the church as well. Most of our evangelism should flow from our relationships with non-Christians God's placed around us, so we've talked about that earlier, but also that evangelism should flow through things that we do together as a body. So whether it would be a uh, a fellowship luncheon that's a great opportunity to invite somebody or maybe it's a conference that we do or a, a marriage retreat that we do um, later this month we w- were looking at doing a, a fall festival in town 
And that would be a place to invite non-Christians to come to an event where they're going to be able to uh, be around Christians, see how they interact, but also hear uh, the gospel proclaimed. Final point. The local church encourages us to evangelize. The local church encourages us to evangelize. Hebrews 10, 24-25, Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. This is a good, um, this is a time not only to, to, to be equipped and strengthened, but to be encouraged by the body, the local church, to do this work of evangelism. And it may be that you're like a Tim Bolton where it comes very naturally to evangelize and you're able to go and participate with him on a mission trip or something like that to better understand how he does that. Or maybe it's just a person that you're working with and have sought throughout the years to make inroads with of the gospel and you're just asking someone in the church to pray for you as you continue to do that work. Or maybe it's a a relationship, a, a a grandparent or a parent or an aunt or an uncle or a cousin that's not a believer and you've been praying about that person and you can ask the the body of Christ to help you pray for that or to keep you accountable or to pray about a specific meeting that you're going to have with them at a family reunion or something. The church encourages us, should encourage us to evangelize within on Sunday morning, but as we've seen this morning as well, without as well, being able to develop relationships where we can proclaim the gospel. The homework, you see on the back side of the page there, uh, continue to pray that God would help you love lost people. That God would help you love lost people. Continue to pray for open doors for the gospel. And then I, just, I want you to take 30 seconds and write down a few names. I want you to write down three names of someone that doesn't attend church or maybe it is someone that does attend church but... Uh, needs uh, to either be refreshed or strengthened in the gospel or someone that you know just in your natural uh, living of life that you develop a relationship with someone that you, you, the Lord's placed upon your heart that you need to share the gospel with. Just write down three names and then begin praying that the Lord would give you an opportunity uh, and begin making plans to be able to spend some time with those people and trusting that the Holy Spirit is going to bring about ways to proclaim the gospel. Yes, Mrs. Pradia. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, amen. Yeah, there was a young man at church last Sunday, Justin, hopefully he'll be here this morning, um, that uh, was saved four years ago, and he just was sharing his testimony with me afterward, how he was, the Lord brought him Christ, attended First, uh, First Baptist Church, was invited there by a young lady in town, came to know the Lord, and um, was just sharing his testimony. It's very encouraging to me. It made me want to share the gospel more. And it was just an unbeliever, it was just a believer telling me how the Lord had encouraged him. So, it's a good word. Okay, let's close our time with prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for our opportunity to study now, to have studied this this topic of uh, the church and the work of the church to proclaim, uh, to uh, the work of the church in evangelism. We thank you, Lord, for uh, one another and the family that we have here and ask, Father, for uh, grace now about uh, t- upon our time of fellowship, that it would be sweet and uh, centered around you and lift one another up. In Jesus' precious and holy name we pray. Amen.